1: Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Ann Thompson, editor at large at IndieWire, and my special guest this week is our chief film critic, David Ehrlich. Welcome.
0: Hi, Ann. How are you doing? My pleasure I'm to be here. I'm
1: fine. We uh, recorded last week before we got the results of the National Board of Review. And um, talk a little bit about this group. They're a strange mix. Of re- real critics, I guess there are a few of them in there. Um, uh, by by I, I have I have inside info of, about a couple of the members, but but for the most part, they're this kind of mainstream hodgepodge of educators and 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 hangers-on, very much in the New York area. How would you describe them?
0: Uh, I don't take exception with anything that you just said. I think that they, <laughs> you know, they have a long uh, and relatively consistent. Voting record, and it's always interesting to see how they deviate from what eventually becomes the nominees. I mean, I remember Quills winning their Best Picture Award in I think 2000 or 2001, which uh, um, they are certainly capable of making uh, left field choices. Uh, I guess licorice pizza wouldn't quite qualify as something that is totally, um, you know, off the Oscar board. I think it's probably due for more success than the average Paul Thomas Anderson movie when it comes to the Academy Awards, but uh, that was a Pleasantly surprising winner, but um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, NBR has a lot of value in terms of the season. is just an early bellwether, is our first indication as to which way the wind is blowing, Um, and I think you can safely expect to see a lot of the names and movie titles that are honored on that list repeated ad nauseum for the next thirty-seven months of Oscar season.
1: You are correct, Um, Paul Thomas Anderson for Best Director, Licorice uh, Pizza, Best Film, Will Smith. Uh, for King Richard, Best Actor, and I predict that that movie is going to do very, very well. If not um, uh, Best Picture, it's, it, it, it's likely to, to win Best Actor, although the one I would like to see get in there, uh, too, is Benedict Cumberbatch, and Power of the Dog Sorry. was notably omitted from this list, which I don't think it will be at Oscar time.
0: I, I tend to agree with you. That was a curious uh, mission from NBR's list and it's already sort of been rectified by other voting groups, the your Film Critics Circle, um, you know, other awards bodies, I think will continue to be rewarded there. But just going back to King Richard for a second, do you think that this year um, there's going to be a unique disconnect or hopefully unique, I mean, I don't know, I, I think it'd be great if people are actually seeing these movies going forward, but a disconnect between box office performance and the way that the movies are received by the Oscars, because King Richard, you know, really underwhelmed at the box office, um, at least vis-a-vis expectations. But the common wisdom, I think, with Good Cause is that Will Smith is still a frontrunner for Best Actor.
1: Best, um, King Richard is an example of one of these unfortunate um, Warner Brothers, HBO Max, day and date releases. And I, I, I say unfortunate because they just made this decree that all the films of 2001 including dune now dune ended up doing really well at the box office because it was it, an extraordinary space epic i mean it had such beauty and such grand scale that people were willing to go to the theater recognizing that they weren't going to really experience it properly if they didn't king richard doesn't like that king richard is a family movie and over the holidays many families hunker down in front of the tv to watch it and that's okay um and i have a feeling uh, other people have brought up in the heights and um unfortunately coming up west side story West Side Story, by any measure, is getting uh, incredible reviews. It's very high on Metacritic. It's at like 87 on Metacritic, which is pretty high. Um, uh, it's it's the it's it, you know it's up where power of the dog is, um, and and so critics love it and and I think audiences are going to love it. But in the heights when it opened was judged harshly because there were such expectations on it. I think those expectations have been tempered since then. And even uh, King Richard and West Side Story are going to do well at the Oscars no matter uh, what I'm glad you're I'm glad you is. said
0: that just because I think In the Heights was a real victim of the day and date approach yeah. and the results that it merited because that I thought that was a very strong movie, um, you know, ironically, a wonderful way back into the movie theaters um, where I was lucky enough to see it. And I think because it was, it wasn't the first out of the gate in this day and day policy, but it was really, you know, the first summary over like very hyped movie that had been it was waiting opening, to bow for a a year. Film festival in yeah. New York.
1: They, they put a and, lot of bells and whistles around it. And, and it people, still didn't myself, play.
0: yeah, my, myself, very much included, expected it to do very well and open, you know, closer to twenty-five or thirty million dollars, rather than you know not even make that much domestically. And um, I did tarnish the movie's reputation in people's minds. I think, regardless of the quality of the film itself, and that is a real shame because I think it's a beautiful movie that deserves to. Uh, to be celebrated but um yeah i mean i think you're, you're right about king richard i know only anecdotally that so many people who are not the type to rush out to a movie theater on opening weekend ended up catching that movie at home on hbo max and uh yeah i think it should continue to perform well i'm a little bit more concerned about west side story and, and really hoping that that does well but uh, I, I think it's
1: not tracking think, uh, to yeah. do very well. And, but and those the, movies The legs. trick there is that word of mouth would have to kick in, and the theaters would have to hang on to it, and right. you know, hopefully, more and more people will go out to see it. That there might be enough spectacle uh, there. Uh, it should be seen on the big screen. It's so beautiful. <laughs>
0: You know, really, really should. You know, musicals have had a rough year, I mean, as we know, within the Heights and um, Tick, Tick, Boom went straight to Netflix, uh, Ditto. I mean, Encanto is doing decently well, um, but Lin-Manuel, there was another Lin-Manuel Miranda musical that was also on Netflix. Um, but we all remember the greatest showman uh, that had extraordinary legs after a soft opening and this killer soundtrack and um, just climbed and climbed and stuck around the box office like it was still 1995. And uh, you know, and this is a much better film a movie
1: than the greatest <laughs> show. Well, you know, which I each, hated.
0: Uh, you know, <laughs> my daughter too, too loves that easy. movie.
1: I still don't get it. I have to say, yeah,
0: your daughter has exquisite taste. I was, uh, I was not. <laughs> I don't think I totally got it. It reminded me of the Great Gatsby in the sense that, like, when I first saw the Greatest Showman, it was so far afield of what I was used to that I don't think I quite got it the first time around. But the soundtrack worked its way into my mind. And uh, so, you know, sure enough, every time it's on cable, I am there. So, uh, I, you know, what's that I story have no thing? issue
1: with the songs. <laughs> it's just the movie <laughs> I had a problem it's, with.
0: It's a specific taste, but you know what? They did it. Good for them.
1: Um, <laughs> well, yes. so, so, the, the, so we have, um, all right, so we did Licorice Pizza, West Side Story, Belfast. So, Kiaren Hines, I'm still on MBR, got a supporting actor. I hope that repeats at the Oscars. I'd like to see that happen. Um, and then Anjanew Ellis, King Richard, supporting actress. That will happen at the Oscars as a nomination, at least. Oh, um, sure. Original screenplay, Asghar Farhadi. That was a surprise, and I was delighted because I, I love no. that movie.
0: Uh, Right, and I think it's actually not the only uh, international film or non-English language film that might be able to stake a claim in that category this year, just because there's such strong writerly voices in films like Drive My Car as well. Um, and All right. So, Drive
1: My Car so. was the big winner at the New York Film Festival. Sure was. And um, a New, York, New York Film Critics, yeah. and uh, that was a surprise. Although the the word of mouth on it, I love it. It's my favorite. up up there among my favorites of the year. Uh, a three hour Japanese movie that is the Japanese Oscar submission. And it's just hard, it's unusual. There's been more examples in this increasingly uh, diverse international membership of the Academy, more examples of these films breaking into Best Picture of, of a Cold War, or, or uh, getting into other categories, or Roma, um, or obviously Parasite. But um, to get into Best Picture, there are gonna be 10 of them this year. So maybe it has a shot, we'll see. What I mean, about Parallel really be- Mothers? Well, I, just to
0: stay on my car for one second, I mean, that would really be amazing because it does not have the mass appeal of something like Parasite. It is, you know, a three hour long uh, Murakami adaptation. Not that Murakami is in this like super rarefied air, but the movie hinges on uh, Chekhov and uh, all sorts of um, well, Chekhov isn't particularly unsavory, but all sorts of unsavory subjects. And uh, it's really a joy to watch, but it is um it is uh, it is a lot to, to bite off, and if it were able to sneak into the Best Picture race, that would really be incredible. I don't want to overstate the impact of a critics group like the New York Film Critics Circle, but I do think when our group gave that movie Best Film, I, I think it's likely to repeat at the Los Angeles Film Critics Circle when they meet uh, next weekend, and or this weekend, whenever they're meeting. And I think they moved um, it back a week. Yeah, I, yeah, and when it like in the event that a movie, whatever that movie may be wins best film at one or two of the, the more prestigious film critics groups, I think it puts the Academy on notice. They have to, whatever their um, reservations or trepidation, no, they have they to, have watch to it. reckon with it. So that is something.
1: Yeah, I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree. I'm so pleased. Um, yeah, so they went to uh, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog for director, uh, a category where I've already said I think she's probably likely to win uh, the Oscar uh, yeah. just just for the sheer bravura uh, a- a- accomplishment of of this uh, Movie Um, and and then we have Licorice Pizza repeating again in screenplay and that's a likely winner um, in in, at the Oscars too. Yeah,
0: I mean Paul Thomas Anderson is uh, he needs an Oscar. Not that he needs it for his own well being. I I, at this point can't imagine he gives a shit. But like the Academy just to save face at this point and to to recognize his place in the contemporary American film landscape needs to give him an Oscar and that seems like the easiest opportunity to do so. Um it is, you know, for my money, an extraordinary script uh and deserves the recognition. And uh it, it's yeah, I mean so much of what is wonderful about that movie is on the page. I mean just as much Absolutely. as on the screen, but it's it, uh there's a real life just... to the screenplay
1: i i agree i couldn't agree more um and it grows on you actually sure um, house of gucci uh landed a key uh <laughs> a key nomination with lady gaga i have no, to say yeah. i was surprised by this not that Good. lady gaga's in the race which she is that there was the new york film critics that gave it to her uh well you has know, to have right. been a competitive r- group of other Candidates there, uh,
0: I, I, as we all saw, you're not allowed
1: to talk I, about it, right, David? Uh,
0: that followed um, <laughs> the vote last week. Yeah, no, I, I am not a liberty to say, you know, what that conversation was like, or if there was a conversation. I mean, it is a, a silent vote, so um, I can't, I think I could say that there, there's a lot of chatter, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, was of the mind that there, there is room for that kind of movie star bravura. Uh, in this day and age, um, I know that particularly a group like New York Film Critics Circle might be inclined towards rewarding more reserved and traditionally, you know, uh, n- nuanced performances. Uh, not that there is not plenty of nuance in what Lady Gaga does here, but I simply, you know, for whatever that movie's merits or lack thereof, just cannot get past how compulsively watchable she is the moment she comes on screen. Um, I felt the same way about her performance in the even better A Star Is Born, um, where she had the added benefit of being able to sing. But you know, here she comes on the screen and, and you know bulldozes this family and the empire that they're trying to create and every but single she thing bulldozes she does. the
1: movie too.
0: Yeah, but you know what? It's her movie. It's all uh, riveting and it's such a an interesting anchor for everyone else in terms of negotiating their own levels of camp and bigness of their performances to um, to sort of be tethered to and react to. And I just thought, you know. It's a big and operatic performance in a movie that I wish was as big and operatic as she is sometimes. But uh, Agreed. I, Agreed. as soon as she, like she, when she's on the screen, it, it you cannot take your eyes away from her, and I think that deserves the attention that we gave it.
1: Well, I have I have issues. Uh, I actually interviewed her, and and I, I have a great deal of respect for for what she does. Um, I would say I, I prefer the Star is Born uh, performance, which was more naturalistic well, and and vulnerable. That's, it's uh, a high bar without all the, um, without all the bells and whistles that that costumes and makeup and and wigs uh, provide. But um, I I just have trouble with this movie. Uh, the, by the way, the first hour is bliss. I thought it was extraordinarily well done. The the romantic portion of it. And then it, it 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 gets very the movie itself just gets uh, very twisted with all the different characters and all the different uh, levels of performance of all the different characters. Adam Driver and Jared Leto and Jeremy Irons are and, and Al Pacino are all in different movies. And I just had too much. I, I, I don't think that an actress should be doing that and making See, everyone I, else meet their I, game. Because my, it's the director my, whose job it is yeah. to, to ma- m- you know manipulate all of that to make it come into one cohesive whole.
0: I mean, I think my my take might be a little bit too galaxy brain for some people to uh, buy into. But my feeling about the movie is that it was actually a feature and not a bug that everyone felt like they were in different movies because I saw it as sort of uh, and maybe even Ridley Scott would roll his eyes at this take, but whatever. It was something I felt you know shortly into the movie that um, that the movie is very much about the negotiation of class and the way that campiness comes into that sort of uh, adds a lot of dynamism to these ideas of new money and found money and the Idea of the kind of money that they are telling themselves that they have and come from, and the way that you know the Gucci empire is only two generations old, but they're treating it like they're the fucking Habsburgs, and like all of these things, I found really sort of um, brought to life by the wide swath. Of the performances that you see, and the movie would have been lesser in my eyes if everyone was kind of on the same page because that—that's really the conflict and tension of the movie is trying to figure out what the future of Gucci is going to be amidst all these various tones. So, I was into it, but I think Clearly, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, a... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't love the movie, but I thought it was interesting, and I, I, you know, I did think that. And I can't believe I'm saying this as someone who's had his own you know, qualms with Jared Leto in the past, but I think she and Jared Leto. Uh, are the best parts of that movie, she in particular, but they really bring it to life. And uh, they, their performances may not sparkle as much if not for the more grounded elements. But um, yeah, I, I think she is a true blue movie star and uh, it, it is worth recognizing that, particularly in an age with so few of them.
1: Okay. And then we have Benedict Cumberbatch, who is extraordinary in The Power of the Dog. I've just been reading the book. Um, of course, Netflix sent it around, but um, it's it's actually fascinating to see how um, Campion and Cumberbatch have have changed the character from the book. I mean, they're building on it, obviously, but it's it, they definitely recreated it.
0: Uh, yes. And, you know, they're going from they're looking at the character from a different perspective, which is a similar feat of adaptation as what Maggie Gyllenhaal did in the similarly excellent, similarly Netflix, The Lost Daughter. Um, But uh, yeah, and and Netflix has had, you know, uh, it it pains me to recognize sometimes, but they, they, they have an extraordinary lineup. This fall, but I guess when you have you know fifty percent of all movies and a never-ending uh, reservoir of debt, you can do that. But um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, they bring such interesting life to to the character of, of Phil. It's in one of the great I,
1: great. I don't throw the word iconic around that much, but this is one of those um, characters that that I think will t- stand the test of time. You know. Phil yeah. Burbank he he is yeah. he is it's, it's extraordinary what they did so I'm really glad the New York film critics went with that and Katherine Hunter um, the supporting actress uh, uh, winner for the power for, for for the tragedy of Macbeth she's uh, extraordinary in it um, I get the sense David maybe you can argue with me it was the opening night of the New York Film Festival and yet I feel this odd silence around this movie is though not that many people have actually seen it. And I just <sighs> feel like there's something quiet going on. Sometimes Apple movies have that sense.
0: I mean, it could be, uh, there. there is maybe a little Apple element to it, but I think at the same time, it's also hard to get um, too worked up uh, over a Shakespeare adaptation in terms of, you know, maybe not personally, but collectively, um, even a Shakespeare adaptation is striking as this one is and coming from Joel Cohn. Um, but you know, and and the game of keep away that they've sort of played with the movie ever since hasn't helped. But you know, it's a strange, curious object, the Shakespeare adaptation like this. And um, I I I suspect it'll find an audience. I thought that was cool what they did last weekend, having these IMAX screenings around the world for it. Um, seemed to draw some some new attention to it. But Catherine Hunter, I mean, I don't I don't know. Um, you know if, if this is one of those award seasons it's going to propel someone to becoming a, a household name i don't know um if she is uh like i would imagine her just like returning to england and doing more shakespeare and just honing the she's knife a theater or, like actress right and always but will be um, but she is just, there, there is no, it, you know, it's one of those performances as soon as she shows up, it's just such an inspired embodiment of the witch's construct from the beginning of Macbeth. She's and all
1: three of them. She's, it's inc- <laughs> I mean,
0: and, and like this bird, like before, I mean, literally turns into twisting
1: her body. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's really extraordinary. And, uh, it, she's only on screen for maybe 10 minutes, but the moment she shows up, you are just. You know, like the the feeling that you may or may not have of like oh, another Shakespeare adaptation, let alone a Macbeth, which has been done by so many great filmmakers so many times, just vanishes and you're just leaning forward in your chair and you're like, what is this? Um,
1: You've and, never seen it uh, before That's for sure So Cody Smith McPhee um, ha- I've been predicting him to win the Oscar all along For The Power of the Dog I just don't see who's going to take it from him It's a great, great uh, The whole movie is a slow burn But his performance You don't know how to read him He's a bit of a cipher uh, All of the characters in this in this movie Unfold slowly As you learn more about them And you try to put all the little details Together, and he is is as the as the son of Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst, um, the interlopers in the Burbank household. Um, he is uh, stronger than he looks, and uh, let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah, sure is. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a performance that that movie needs in order to hold together, and it's played with I think uh, spot on reserve. Uh, by Cody Smith-McPhee and uh, who, who is really already an expert in the sort of neo-western milieu after Slow West, which is another wonderful <laughs> movie. Maybe not quite as um, no, resonant. No, yeah, I mean, good. few movies are. I mean, Jane Campion is really at the top of her extraordinary lake here. Uh, as I said, as a game, but um, I always, you know. King Campion. Top, top of the lake. lake. You love out. it. I um, know, I know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the, there, every year performance of this movie is remarkable. I think even Jesse Plemons, who um, has really turned into one of our most interesting actors, may seem to not get as much to do as some of the other cast members here. But there are little delicate moments that he has that I found truly heartbreaking. One in which he just does something as simple as draping a napkin over his arm to help out uh, Kirsten yeah. Dunn's character. It just uh, yeah. is so poignant.
1: Um, yeah. Now he's very, very good. He's he's quiet and solid. And then we move on to cinematography. I'm still at the New York uh, Film Critics Circle. J- Janusz Kaminski. Now um, for West Side Story. Janusz Kaminski and Steven Spielberg have been working together a long time. And in recent years, I've had issues with some of his work. I think he's extraordinarily gifted. But sometimes he can veer into an old-fashioned kind of artificially lit um, aesthetic. And in this case, it works because, Mm -hmm. of course, you're in the highly stylized universe of of a musical. And I think what he and Spielberg did here is is extraordinary. And uh, I think um, as I was filling out my Critics' Choice ballot uh last night uh where they ask for three choices uh for a lot of the categories i was realizing how well uh power of the dog west side story and licorice pizza are sure. going to do in the uh, I, long I run i
0: wish i could agree with you about Janusz kaminsky's work in west side story i mean he is you know one he is a remarkably Gifted cinematographer and his collaborations with Spielberg, particularly you know towards the beginning of their time working together, resulted in some of the most extraordinary and extraordinarily uh, beautiful. Looking movies uh, of their time, Um, I also agree with what you were saying earlier about how sometimes they've pushed that envelope a little bit too far in recent years. I mean, at first it was just this, like you know, the floodlights coming in from every window, which I never really had a problem with. But as more digital artifice was introduced into the look of their films, things went sort of unreal directions for me. Um, And you know, something we agree
1: on that then. Yeah,
0: but I think here it, it doesn't quite. Work for me. There, there were. It felt like um, there is a hermetically sealed quality to the previous West Side Story movie, which adds to its sort of atmosphere and, and power. And I think they were, may have been going for something similar to that here, even though this movie very pointedly takes place on the, sh- the real streets of New York. But there is there's something about the the lighting, the desaturated, almost like Clint Eastwood looking uh, lighting scheme here that height of heightens the artifice of the scene. PGI, the backgrounds, the things that they do to sort of uh, further encase the, the space and make it feel, um, you know, like late 1950s New York, and it, it a lot of it really rubbed my eye the, the wrong way. As great as you know certain moments and sequences are, so I was, I am not, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the look of this movie. I have to say, but
1: interesting. Yeah. Um, what what. Kushner did, um, just to, to, you know, go off on that a bit, uh, with West Side Story to, to create this kind of World War II demolished landscape uh, that, I thought, worked tremendously well. Um, it, it was real. It, it, there were, in fact, neighborhoods destroyed in order to build Lincoln Center at that point in time. And so that's a, a definite departure uh, from the last movie to have these these kids running around in these destroyed rubble uh, buildings.
0: Yeah, I mean, conceptually, so much of what Kushner's screenplay does to further Flesh out and contextualize the story to put it into the real world, you know, apropos of our Kaminsky conversation, uh, is, is wonderful and enriches the text greatly and makes the characters interesting. And there are little details that really make them sing, you know, pun intended, but something even as simple as um, the fact that Bernardo is a boxer, or complicating uh, the relationship between Bernardo and Maria, or leaning into you know, Riff as this racist true believer who's, right. uh, you know, and and but like these these kids who have been, they're fighting over the rubble. I mean, the movie really gets that, that these two communities are fighting over right. um, something that Robert Moses has already annihilated. Um, I will say that, and I know that there are bigger musical theater fans, you know, Stephen Sondheim, Acolytes and so forth, that would disagree with me. And, um, you know, I, perhaps I should defer to their opinion on this, but um, the decision to beef up the like semi-new Rita Moreno role. Uh Moreno role is uh, a curious one. I mean it's it's wonderful to see her on screen in this capacity. And I think dramatically she carries a lot of weight. But giving the song somewhere to her and taking it away um from I mean it's in the original Broadway show it's a it's a
1: it's dance actually ballet, kind but, of a, a, but, a dreamscape kind yeah, of yeah but in
0: the movie in the original movie they uh sing the song and the weakest part of this film by far is the romance between Tony and Maria and taking away the one song that really allows them to on the decline of their romance sort of sing you know, what they mean to each other and their hopes for this impossible future together um, really would galvanize emotionally the ending of the movie and taking it away from them and making it more abstract I think um, while it thematically, Suits the movie. It sucks the life out of the last 30 minutes of the film to the point that I felt absolutely nothing. At Whoa, the, uh, David, I it. so Alexander. disagree
1: with you. I so yeah. disagree with you. I think the movie I would say uh, they beefed off a up... cliff after the Rumble, So All right. So they gave Valentina, this is the character uh, that's played by Rita Moreno, who won the Oscar for Anita in the first West Side Story. They gave her, uh, they beefed up her part. And there's some scenes there. I would say Ansel Elgort and the scenes with him are the worst scenes sure Uh, in the movie Uh, but to have her sing somewhere is to give rita moreno that song to give puerto rico that song and it works really well and it brings down the house the whole house is crying during that Uh, song and it works and then you build up to this extraordinary crescendo of emotion at the end of the movie that is that is sustained and goes all the way Uh, through and ariana DeBose is carrying it and she is extraordinary too
0: Perhaps that would work better if the same beat wasn't done uh, in a more visually expressive and sort of poignant way in, in the Heights uh, just a few months ago um, with, uh, with the grandmother's you know dying song that she sings in that movie about coming from Puerto Rico and her uh, the give and take of being an immigrant, but um, I want while her I agree-
1: to get recognized for supporting actress, and I've been feeling Who? that all along. The the the, the abuela in, uh, for, in yeah, the yeah.
0: Um, Olga Merida. But uh, the the intellectually, I think that I can totally appreciate why Tony Kushner made these choices. Gave. Rita Moreno, the song, the the sort of meta textual power of having Rita Moreno sing that song and whatnot, but um, it really leaves the movie with with very little emotional runway down the home stretch for me, and I think that it falls apart after the the rumble. I really do. I mean. Um, and that's that's a shame. I know that Tony Maria are sort of famously the least interesting characters in West Side Story, but I don't think they've ever been as uninteresting as they are here towards the end. And Ansel Elgort. Plays it
1: was the part. always Anita and uh, Bernardo's movie. Yeah. It always was. And and Riff, uh, they they were always more interesting than the two leads. And yeah. um, uh, by the way, as however Ansel Elgort uh, performs here, it's better than <laughs> Richard Bellmer. Uh, there, there's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there were so many flaws in the original that this one addresses, uh, I think, to the benefit of the movie. But we don't it, want to take I, it, too much time. It certainly time.
0: justifies its existence. And I think that, you know, by and large, the decisions and that, that Tony Kushner made in the way that he revitalizes it are um, are special and what you would expect to get from a writer of Tony Kushner's caliber in this movie. I just, I think that there, there were, uh, there's a cost to them that costs a little bit too much for me. But,
1: okay, so. um, and then we get to um, animated film. Um, I uh, love the Mitchells versus the Machines. Of course, this is uh, Lord and Miller producing uh, and and a, a young uh, debut director. What it, it is a, a delightful family comedy uh, animated incredibly well with a great deal of of virtuosity did you did you like this one is this your favorite
0: i i liked it very very much Um, i mean lord miller whether they're producing or um writing and directing themselves uh and i we should give credit to um michael rianda who uh wrote or directed rather i think i also wrote the he wrote uh,
1: yeah it's his yeah
0: Um, but they these guys are doing you know broad colorful peppy family animation at a much higher level than anyone else is right now in, in North America. I mean, I have a special place in my heart for Studio Leica, but what they're doing is very different than what Lord Miller and Miller have been doing, um, and it occupies sort of a different register, so I don't see them as competing necessarily, but they, like these guys, when they're, when they're on, they're, they're so on, and there's just so much going on. There's so much wit and, and heart to Mitchell's Versus Machine. There's so much for cinephiles to, to chew on and get a laugh at Absolutely. in this movie. I mean, there are jokes in the first five minutes, even if they're <laughs> blinking, you'll miss them jokes, about everything from uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire to you know, Rainer Werner Fassbinder. So uh,
1: <laughs> it's
0: it's there's a lot going on, and uh, um, it's a real j- Joy. You know, for this particular award, if you look at the New Film Critics Circle Awards, you see that and the love was spread, um, and so it's not to take anything away from *Flee*, which is also an animated film and also a documentary. Um, that, but
1: that's the winner uh, of uh, of right. nonfiction,
0: right? So, and it's um, also
1: up for international. It's up for three different categories. Yeah, not best and, and I
0: like. I like how the awards reflected that they're, that animation is, um, you know, not a genre, but a form unto itself and that it has room on the spectrum of what it can do for Absolutely. films as dissimilar as Flea and The Mitchells vs. The Machines.
1: And I had heard that The Worst Person in the World was uh, doing well with the New York Film Critics, and lo and behold, it did win Best Foreign Language Film. That's a movie I saw at Cannes that, um, from Tree Trier uh, of Norway. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of uh, romantic comedy, but it's, um, and it's focused on uh, a female character who is uh, lost in her relationships. She doesn't know what she wants to do with her life, but her life is told from the perspective of her relationships. That is how hmm. she is defined. And I do have some trouble with the fact that her one of her um, her big love uh played by um, Anderson Lee who I think is, it, is really Lee, very yeah. good. Yeah, he is uh the most interesting character in the movie. So uh, I have trouble with this. I do. This happens all the time with male writer directors writing about women.
0: Is that the that the men become oh interesting because I think that something that people really love about this movie is the, is the, the main character um, and not necessarily Anderson Lee. I was less ecstatic about the film than so many of my colleagues, even though I liked it quite a bit, excuse me. And um, I, my actual, my biggest issue with it was the handling of the Anderson Sidney character, um, particularly in the sort of modeling direction that he eventually, you know, by no fault of his own, takes the third act of the film. Um, I, I would have, I was much more on board with uh, the the main character's, you know, romantic dalliances, the love triangle between her and these these two very different men that that uh, is created over the course of the movie, um, and really being with her. I think the role that Anders, this character, ends up re- representing in her life is a little. A little much in the way that it's presented here, but um, it is still a, a strong movie. And there's a lot of love for it. It's a very emotional choice. I think the movie, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't make you work for it. It comes to you. It hits you right in the solar plexus and the tear ducts. And uh, is very smart about it. I'm not trying to be cynical. I don't think it's manipulative in uh, in any sort of way. But it's. Um, you know, it, I'm it's with you, actually. I I
1: like the movie. I admire the movie without loving it. Um, that's that is how I feel. Um, the movie I love is The Lost Daughter, uh, Maggie yes. Dylan Hall's film, which is the best first film. And um, I think she has a good shot at a screenplay nomination for this. She adapted, of course, the Elena Ferrante novel and did it beautifully and made some changes in it. Um, so Olivia Colman is extraordinary in it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal movie, and uh, I would love to see her in the best adapted screenplay category. I mean, there's a fun story here, which is that um, Elena Ferrante had never allowed one of her books to be adapted into any other language other than Italian, but when Maggie Gyllenhaal wrote to her and asked, and not only did Ferrante agree, and not only did she publish a open letter in The Guardian, or an essay, rather, writing... A column, one of her columns. A column, yeah, yeah, writing about how uh, eager she was for woman to woman, for Maggie Gyllenhaal to take the story and make it her own, to not be beholden to the choices that she made in the same way that if a man were adapting one of her stories, she would feel a little bit more inclined to police what was happening. But she insisted that Gyllenhaal directed herself, not just write it or produce it. That but was the terms of the contract directs. that right. she gave her. Um, she was really and so excited about it so she had no artist.
1: choice but to go <laughs> ahead and, and, and uh, deliver. And she does it
0: brilliantly. I mean, it's, it's a faithful adaptation, but it's also, uh, as I alluded to earlier, the novel is written in the first person. The movie uh, is, you know, it's a film. It's, there's no voiceover. It approaches it from a more third person uh, and objective POV, but it's still... Um, fluid and insightful. And um, it's just such a, like the novel, such a sharp and unafraid sort of taboo busting portrait of uh, motherhood and the demands that it makes on you and the social sort of expectations as unfair as they are about what women are um, forced to give up or expected to give up of themselves in order to become mothers, and the way this movie pushes against that um, without getting on a pulpit, but just sort of showing the contours of this woman's life is is magnificent. It's it's like very touchy. It's uh, witty and moving, and the performance is not just Olivia Coleman, who uh, is so surgical in what she's doing with her face here, and really allowing you to inside the character's head. But Dakota Johnson, who I think is coming becoming one of our finest uh, young actors and play, you know, is such an elusive screen presence, but so like you watch her and um, there's always, she's so vulnerable and raw, but you always feel like she knows a little bit more than she's letting on. Um, And the movie really runs with that. She's well, Jesse Buckley is wonderful. Um, You know, everyone here is fantastic. Uh, It's a, Phenomenal movie, and it deserves to be recognized come uh, award season.
1: I think it will. I think I'm. I'm not even worried about it. Um, but
0: I did want to shout out my beloved Pig as another ah! uh, real, <laughs> another real achievement. Is a first feature this year. Michael Sarnowski wrote and directed Pig. Uh, I mean, you I heard know, me
1: interviewing Nick Cage yeah, when we were at Cannes. <laughs>
0: uh, and I then I was late to Pig, and you know I think. Uh, even though Nick Cage, like once every few years, there's a Mandy or something like that where you're like, oh, shit, OK, he's still he's still got it. Um, it's still difficult sometimes to get myself worked up enough to actually sit down and watch whatever the new Nick Cage movie that's supposed to be good is. Um, and when I finally got around to seeing Pig, I was blown away. I was so moved by the movie and how it defies expectations, particularly if you you know mislead yourself into thinking that it's going to be some sort of like John Wick Type revenge saga. No, no, no. Um, it's a
1: it's a lovely movie. It's an art film. It, 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 it could be it could be on a double feature with the Truffle Hunters. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, it's basically uh, in the genre. Uh, there's a one of the foreign language films this year. Uh, is called diggers from greece i mean it's it's a there's a whole genre now of 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 movies that are set in 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 rural locations with people who are hanging on for dear life you know honey what was the honey land you know the idea that that there's there's a a a naturalistic harmony that you could achieve and uh, a harmony with nature that you cannot um you don't want to lose and and part of that is what pig is about He's he's yeah. he's hanging on to, to a close relationship to the earth. Mm-hmm. All right, um, we are done, Mr. Ehrlich. We have rattled on for half an hour. We must go. Oh, no, great! Thank
0: uh, you movies. for being my guest. I love talking yeah, to you. my pleasure.